0: Welcome to Mamas on a Mission. If you're a Melbourne mum, you've landed in the right place. Hey, I'm Holly, the host of this podcast, Chief Mummer of Motherhood Melbourne and co-founder of Facing Motherhood. Each week, you'll hear from inspiring local mamas that are on a mission to help you get through the toughest hood of all, motherhood. Season three is kindly supported by my podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, an Australian owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Okay, let's kick things off. I can't believe we're at the end of season three of Mamas on a Mission. I hope you've enjoyed the incredible mix of Melbourne mums that have shared their stories each week. If you happen to be catching the end of this season, when you go back, you'll find a range of relatable and practical topics such as finding your style, using food to balance hormones, creating healthy sleep habits, overcoming birth trauma, Ooh, that one was a goodie, and a whole lot more. I personally would like to thank you for tuning into the podcast. Your reviews, messages and social shares, they mean the world. It's my mission to produce a meaningful podcast that inspires you to live out yours. And before we dig into the latest and last guest for the season, I just want to wish all of the newbie school mums a terrific start to the year. I'll be seeing my firstborn off this week, and I'm not even going to pretend there won't be tears. They'll be mine, of course. He's totally fine, a very confident kid. So, good luck, school mummers. Now, I'm delighted to introduce you to Melbourne mum, Louise East, who is a mindset and life coach for mums. At More to Mum, Louise is on a mission to help you see that you are more now, that you're a mother, not less. She loves to help you identify what you really want in motherhood and life and make it a reality. She has the most wonderful perspective about helping mums and how it causes a positive ripple effect that extends to our family and then beyond that to the wider community. I just love that. This episode is super practical and relatable to all mums. Louise talks about the reasons why we're feeling overwhelmed in our lives and provides tips around overcoming this. If you've been losing it a lot lately and then beating yourself up for being angry mummy, you'll be thrilled by the approach Louise shares about how to keep your cool and be calmer. We then chat about boundaries, why it's important to have them and how you can establish them. Louise keeps the tips coming with sharing ways we can slip out of mum mode and connect more with our partners. And lastly, we talk about self-care in a realistic way. No more feeling the guilt about another Thing you don't have time for. Like I said, a super practical episode. Now, if you're tuning into this app, I'd love to know, share it on your Insta stories with a screenshot, tag motherhood Melbourne and more to mum. You'll find account names and links in the show notes. Let us know what you got out of this episode or leave a review on your podcast app. Okay. Now Louise begins with telling us about how she ended up on the path to becoming a mindset and life coach for mums. Let's meet Louise.
1: Well, I spent nearly 20 years in the corporate world, working in mostly learning and development, doing uh, coaching, coaching all sorts of people, helping them overcome their barriers, learn their jobs better, you know, realize what they were capable of. And I taught all sorts of things from the really fun stuff in terms of leadership and some not so fun stuff as well. Um, But I really just never got enough of seeing people improve themselves seeing them get something for the first time or seeing them realise they could do something that they thought they couldn't. And so that's just been a lifelong passion for me. So it was only natural that when I was looking for a way to fit my career around my family life, that I would want to continue doing that. Oh, look, I did have something else in mind. I've always thought about being an events planner, but, <laughs> but I, never, I never did that. I stuck to what I was doing and I, I don't regret it at all. But really, you know, I waited till I was in my mid-30s until I had my first child, I did become a stepmother before that, but that was really good because it allowed me, I had a bit of freedom in my career and it allowed me to really look at my options and see, you know, what is it that I want to do? I felt pretty stable. I felt like I'd achieved some goals. So I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be at home with my son. And so I looked at how could I bring my skills to a different, a different audience, a different way of working. Um, and I have to say, I'm really glad I did it. (laughs) I'm really glad I did it because I just absolutely love what I do and working with mums is amazing. Oh
0: so it was a real natural progression of your skills and experience which was nice and then you know obviously matching that with what was happening in your personal life as well so it's really clear to see that's great now I guess with life coaching it has become a lot more popular these days so people are starting to understand it and you know seek help from life coaches but I I would love for you to explain more what is a mindset and life coach? Can you explain the role for those who don't understand or don't know about it?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question because lots of people don't understand it. And I find that even with the people who've been following me for a while, sometimes they say, what, what actually is a coach? What do you do <laughs> in that regard? Uh, well, a coach is really just someone who walks alongside you, helps you set really inspiring goals that you absolutely want to achieve with all your heart and then helps you achieve them and even exceed those goals. So it's someone who is very practical, it is different to counselling, you know, it is a lot about um, removing barriers that you're creating for yourself or that are in your life and it's about understanding yourself better. I think that's one of the biggest things is that when people engage in life coaching, they have a great growth in terms of self-understandings, even more than they've expected. They just really understand themselves a whole lot better and they achieve all the things I wanted to achieve it's wonderful
0: that's a great explanation so why those specifically mindset and life coach because a lot of people just call themselves a life coach what's the, what's the difference there
1: I specifically call out mindset because I think mindset is so so important and when someone comes to me with a goal for example they want to have more fun in their life or they want to find a job that they love it feels very practical And they often think it's about the steps that they need to do, you know, go out and research jobs or identify the activities that they think are really enjoyable. But there's all all these things happening in our minds that get in our way, that influence every decision that we make, that influence how we see the world. And if we don't look at those things, lasting change is really, really hard. So everything I do comes back to mindset and beliefs and your identity and that's why I specifically call that out.
0: And so why have you decided to specifically work with mum? How is it that you are trying to
1: help them? Oh, I love working with (laughs) mum. I love helping anyone. I mean, I still do a little bit of corporate work every now and again when my schedule allows it and that's really satisfying too, but there's something really special about working with mums. I mean, firstly, mums are doing... This job that is so heartfelt and so, you know, the the stakes are high for mums because of the love for their families. It's so personal, they just, you know what, you know, we all know, right? We just want everything for our kids. So I feel like when you work with mums, you're really going deep straight away. And there is such a ripple effect that comes with working with mums. When you help a mum, when a mother is healthy. It affects her children, it affects her marriage or her partner, it affects her family, her broader family, her community, you know, her friends, she's a role model. There's just so many things that happen and come together beautifully when a mother is functioning well and is feeling good within herself. And so I think that's what I find really special about working with mums. And I honestly, I just think mums need support. They need support. We are thrown into motherhood. We have really skewed perceptions of what it's going to be like, and that's not our fault. That's just how we're raised. It's how society talks about motherhood. It's about how society values or doesn't value motherhood. And we really need help to come back to what do we want motherhood to be for ourselves? You know, what's success for us? Uh, what is, we don't, we don't know all the changes we're going to go through personally. So we need support through that. We, instead of going, this is a growth opportunity for us. Most of us go, oh my gosh, I'm failing. What's wrong with me? And so I love to help mums see there is actually nothing wrong with you. You're going through a natural transition. This is an incredible opportunity to redefine who you are, to rediscover who you are and to dig deeper and you know, understand yourself better and decide, well, what does my life look like from here?
0: Oh, I love that. I love how you describe it as that ripple effect. If you help a mum, you know how far that can have an effect on others, even the wider community. That's such a great perspective. I love that.
1: It's very true. <laughs> We're very important people in our communities.
0: Yes, yes. No, that's that's really beautiful. And do you find that a lot of the mums that you're helping are they new mums or are they at different stages of life?
1: Different stages. When I first started, I was looking at the new mum community, but I'm finding that. You know um, if you've heard of matrescence, which is that transition from to motherhood, it actually goes on for years. The transition of becoming a mother does not stop the minute you hold your first baby in your arms, it goes on through all the stages of motherhood as your children grow and change, as you add more children to your family. So, the things that I help people with are relevant across all those stages, and we all encounter challenges at different points. So, I'm finding it it suits a whole range of mothers. Yeah.
0: So what I'd love to do now is chat about some of the common areas that you help mums with, you know, to go through some of those practical tips and just to get insight into, I guess, what's going on, you know, in your Community, uh, the sort of things that you're helping them with. Firstly, what are some of the reasons why mums are feeling overwhelmed in their lives? And do you have any tips around how we can overcome it?
1: Tips for days. <laughs> <laughs> tips for days. <laughs> Thank you. This is one of my favourite. So, some of the reasons that we're feeling overwhelmed is that, firstly, as I mentioned, the stakes feel really high in motherhood. So we take stuff really seriously, even the little things that we probably don't need to, you know, be so so hard on ourselves about. (laughs) The other thing is there is a lot of pressure on mothers these days. I don't know about you, but I'm sure lots of your listeners can relate to being brought up believing that they can just do it all. They can have the career, they can be a great mother, they can have wonderful social life, travel the world. You think that it's possible and then you get here and you go, "Uh, hang on, (laughs) there is only so much one person can do at once. Not saying that you couldn't have that across your lifetime, but really, can we do it all well at once? Probably not without ourselves into the ground. The other thing is that we don't know about this transition, as I just said, you know, we don't understand the depth and the length and the the impact of the transition of becoming a mother. So that makes everything harder. It makes us more critical of ourselves. It makes things feel a lot harder. And also there is a belief in society that busy equals success. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know that one. So we make ourselves busy thinking that this is a badge of honour, you know, we multitask and pat ourselves on the back and all these things actually work against us. So there's some of the big reasons. I mean, there's lots more of that. There <laughs> <the big reasons.
0: laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And so do you have any tips around how to overcome these?
1: Yes, again, <laughs> lots of tips. So here are some some starting points. Mm-hmm. The first thing I always say to mums is we just need to accept that we're overwhelmed because so often we fight against it. We're like, nope, I'm managing, it's all okay, I'll just work harder, I'll do more hours, I'll sleep less, you know, we push ourselves and push ourselves until the point where we can't even, we can't function, we don't want to do any more and in some cases for people that means their body gives up and they become ill. So the first thing is just to accept where you're at, accept that you're feeling overwhelmed, give yourself some self-compassion because it is really common and normal to feel that way. And there are a whole lot of things out of your control that are contributing to that situation. The time when you need self-care the most is when you feel like you have no time for it. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, I would be starting to look after yourself better. <laughs> then I would be identifying what's important to you. Because one of the things that we do when we're overwhelmed is often we're taking on what's important to everybody else, but we're not prioritizing. So it's really important that we identify what's important to me as a mum, as a woman, as a, you know, a leader in my family. And then change the busy mindset. So one of the most common things I hear people everywhere say is, I'm so busy. You know, you say, hi, how are you busy? How was your week? Busy. How was your holidays? Busy. (laughs) It's the standard answer. And when we think that we're busy, we create, subconsciously create more of it. So I had a massive shift in my life when I went from saying to myself, I don't have time to I have enough time. That was a game changer for me. And it didn't mean I have enough time for all the millions of things that I could be doing, but it meant that I have enough time for the things that are important. And that's the example of how mindset can be so powerful.
0: That's like when a lot of people say, I can't find the time, da da da, or they talk about it in a different, yeah, different way. And it's like, no, you do have to make time for the things that you want to do that are important. So you do have the time. We've all got the same amount of hours, but it's just what you're choosing to prioritise within those hours.
1: Exactly. And that's why prioritising and knowing what's important to you is super important to help with overwhelm.
0: So that would be something that you would sit down with them and, and do, because I think we don't, we don't verbalize it. Like it's like, oh yeah, my family's important. This is important. This is important, but we don't actually sit down and say, okay, what is really important and what could be just, you know, piffed to the side or,
1: (laughs) or outsourced or. Yes, you don't have to, it's not even giving it up. So some people think I couldn't possibly say that's not important because then I'm not, I'm not doing it at all, but it's not that you don't do it at all. Maybe you do it later. Maybe you give it to someone else to do. Maybe you do it to a slightly lesser standard that's way less stressful, but is still totally acceptable. It's just about looking at things differently. Sometimes we're just relentless in pursuing something that actually, you know what? I don't even think that's important. Somebody else told me that's important and I've never stopped to question why I'm just following along blindly you know, so, or everyone else in my mother's group is doing it or everyone else in this, all the other school moms are doing it. So I feel like I have to do it, but you know what? I really hate doing this thing. It's just not enjoyable. It's not me. These are some of the things you can let go of.
0: It's almost like sometimes it feels like there's this secret competition going on in motherhood. And we do, we sort of create it in our head a bit, but we don't get a trophy at the end. <laughs>
1: love that we don't get a trophy at
0: the end. But we still keep, but we still keep going on in the race. Like we still keep trying to compete and live up to other people's expectations of what we should be doing.
1: Yes. I I am all about banishing the shoulds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Get rid of the shoulds. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Lovely. So that's, that's really great practical advice about overwhelm. And that kind of leads nicely into my next question because, you know, motherhood throws so many unexpected things at us. And when this happens, we choose how we can respond. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a choice, but we do. So how can we remain calm and keep cool when we're feeling this sort of overwhelm or things are going as we don't expect? So what are some strategies around keeping calm? I find this one really hard. So I really am listening and taking notes.
1: This topic is so popular in my community. I actually wrote a couple of blog posts on it with 32 different ways to stay calm in the moment. I saw that. (laughs) It's a
0: two-part series. It was great. Yes,
1: we talked about that a lot. But there's two ways to approach staying calm, and I believe both are important. You can't do one without the other. So there's the preventative strategies. You need to have some baseline preventative strategies in place, and then there's the -the in-the-moment strategies, right? The preventative strategies are the bit we often overlook. We think, oh, I just need to know what to do when I'm feeling stressed. But the more preventative strategies you have in place, the less you will actually feel stressed. (laughs) So that's a really good place to start. And those are things that people will probably roll their eyes at. But, you know, they're so important. Things like trying to get the sleep you need. And I understand that is a real challenge, but as much as possible. Things like eating well, staying hydrated, moving your body. I'm not going to say going to the gym and exercising and all that sort of stuff, but just moving your body in a healthy, nourishing way. Getting some time to yourself, it doesn't have to be hours, it could be just like 10 minutes in a day, five minutes in two lots, whatever it is, whatever whatever you can manage. Doing something that makes you happy every day, five minutes if you can, doing it with the kids if you have to, Like it can be really practical, but doing these preventative things, not multitasking. You notice a lot of the times, I'm sure you'll notice when you snap at your children when you become the angry mum you don't want to be, it's when you are trying to do too many things at once (laughs) or when you've got a lot on your mind and and you're feeling pressured and then a child comes up to you and they need you to do something and you're like, ah, (laughs) it's not often because of what's happening in the moment. It's because of all the other pressure that you're carrying. So really staying calm is about managing that baseline so that you don't get tipped over the edge so quickly. Then if you do feel that you get tipped over the edge by the same thing over and over, And then another tip is to learn your triggers. We all have triggers. We all have things that upset us, usually related to something that happened in our past, maybe as a child, some belief that we have, things that really upset us. If you know what those are, you can have a strategy in place. You can work on your mindset and your beliefs around that to make it less stressful. So these are some of the things that I work with my clients on. The other thing is to check your expectations. So many times we get upset because our expectations are way higher than they need to be either on ourselves, on our children, on other people. We want to control things when we really don't have any control over things other than ourselves. So if we look at what we're expecting, we can often see that we do not need to be stressed. And then in the moment, look, there's a million strategies you could use and people just need to choose what works for them. But some of my favorites are deep breathing exercises because they actually calm your nervous system. And I have lots of examples of those on my blog. And also, I I love essential oils for supporting your emotional health as well. So I use a lot of that to stay calm and not only for me, but for kids to keep kids calm, to keep that household calm. (laughs) So that really works well. And then, you know, there's a whole lot of things like you can use affirmations, you can use strategies around just changing, your, changing the environment. Um, look, I even saw really, there's funny ones where you can just go and do something silly. Uh, I heard an example of actually a couple, but you could do this with kids as well. Like Every time they got stressed, they go stand in the bath and they'd have to have the silly, the hard conversation while standing in the bath. And it just diffuses the tension. You know, There's so many things you can do. But the preventative strategies are really important to start with.
0: I've worked a lot on that for myself for the last couple of years because I've started to realise if I get touched too much throughout the day, like I love cuddling my kids, but I don't know what it is. I feel like every time someone touches me, it's like I lose my own energy or something like that. I know that sounds really weird, but... Yeah. So I feel like, you know, sometimes I just have to say to kids, like, I just need some space. And now the five-year-old's starting to understand that because he has a little brother and he wants space from him, but the two-year-old doesn't get it. So, you know, he's still all on me, climbing on me, touching me constantly. And I'm just like, I've just got like maybe one more year or two more years of until he understands this concept, but it's really hard. So I find that I just need to sort of walk away from them and try to (laughs) not let them follow me around the house.
1: Well, that's a great example of you knowing your trigger and then being able to ask for what you need in the moment and take a break as well. So you've got a number of strategies there in play and see how beautifully that teaches your son about his own needs as well. There's always a benefit to us learning more about ourselves and putting these things in place. And some people feel guilty because they feel like they're not doing what they should be with their children. Like in your case, a mother could think, oh, but I'm not giving my son the attention and the physical contact that he wants. But you're actually teaching him a valuable lesson too about boundaries and about standing up for what he needs. So that's wonderful.
0: Oh, lovely. So these are really great tips. I love them. And speaking of boundaries, that's the next topic I'd like to move on to. Why is it so important to have them? And can you provide examples of how we establish boundaries?
1: Sure. Boundaries are a really great topic because I think we just don't even hesitate when we want to put boundaries around protecting our physical possessions, you know, we have locks on our doors, we have fences around our properties, we get insurance, you know, we have all these things that protect our stuff. But when it comes to our personal well-being, we don't think to do that. <laughs> it doesn't come as naturally. And you think that your personal well-being was way more important than your personal stuff. So boundaries is setting those guidelines around what is okay and what's not okay in relation to you and your, and the way people treat you. So it's very important because your boundaries actually show people how to treat you. So it's not only about you protecting yourself, but it's helping others treat you in a way that is appropriate to establish them. It's really, I mean, for some people where they need a boundary is really obvious. And for others, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed, it can be a little bit harder to identify, but a good way to look at it is what are you feeling resentful about? What are you feeling angry or uncomfortable about? What are you complaining a lot about <laughs> what are you, what's making you overwhelmed or even another good one is what what makes you feel powerless that's a really good one those are probably the areas where you need to instigate a boundary for example you might have a family member who is constantly criticizing your parenting okay here's an example So that's uncomfortable, you feel resentful, you feel angry about that situation, you might even avoid being in situations where you're alone with this person, because you don't want to deal with that. And I know all mums are doing the best job they can. We all want the best for our children. So that doesn't feel good when someone criticises your parenting. In that case, you want to think about what's the boundary that you need. So the boundary there could be that you're not going to engage in those conversations anymore. They're not teaching you anything. It might be different if you were learning something, but they're just making you feel bad about yourself and you might feel pretty sure about what you're doing. So then you need to decide what is the boundary. So what does it look like? If the person is going to come and criticize you, what are you going to do? The first thing you'd need to do is to communicate your boundary. For example, um, I can't talk to you about this anymore. I don't want to have this conversation. It's not helpful to me. Can we please change the topic? Something like that. If they don't listen to your boundary, then you need to have a consequence. This is a bit where people get a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> but you've got to follow through because if you don't follow through, people don't respect your boundaries and there's no point in having them. So you might say, look, if we can't stop talking about this, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to leave the room or leave the conversation or go and talk to someone else. I just can't do it. And that's the most important part. (laughs) So if they continue, we need to leave the conversation. Otherwise, you've had a success and they've respected your boundary. But the funny thing with boundaries is that people get really uncomfortable with you often setting boundaries. And that is usually because of something within them. It's not to do with you. They actually liked that you didn't have a boundary. And I don't say like as in enjoy it in a terrible way. But subconsciously, there's some benefit there for them. Perhaps they're criticizing you because they don't actually feel that good about their own parenting. You're opening up things for them within themselves. So there's, some, there's something going on there that, that it makes it good that you don't have a boundary in that area. So when you do have a boundary, it doesn't feel great for them. But that's okay. That doesn't make your boundary wrong. You're not responsible for how they feel about it. You're only responsible about protecting your well-being.
0: I'd love to take a minute to tell you about my podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, who are a premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Bliss Early Learning are a family-owned Australian company. You'll find them around Melbourne in four great locations, Cranbourne, Sandringham, Williams Landing, and Wyndham Vale. When you take a tour with them, you'll notice that they provide innovative spaces to encourage little ones to grow and learn in a safe and fun environment. You'll be happy to hear that unlike many other providers at Bliss Early Learning, you won't need to fork out extra money for additional activities. They include them for free. Activities such as language classes, yoga, music, learn to read classes, school readiness programs and more. And one last feature that makes Bliss Early Learning stand out from the other providers is that they offer public holidays for free. In Melbourne, that's up to 10 free days per year. Incredible. To find out more and to book a tour at your nearest Bliss Early Learning Centre, visit bliss.edu.au or call 1300 717 777. Yeah, no, that definitely helps. And I saw that you had some really great examples of how to say no with kindness and respect. Is that right? Yes, Yeah, Yeah. do you remember some of those?
1: Oh, yes, that was a topic that was actually requested in my community because uh, I think so many of us struggle with that. But yes, saying no in a way that is respectful is really important because so many of us avoid saying no because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. But I think the most important thing is just be direct. The clearer and the more direct, the better. But you don't have to be rude about it. You can use your normal manners. You can give a reason, um, but you don't need to overly explain why. Like you can say, I don't want to talk about this. It makes me uncomfortable. If, we can, if you continue saying these things, I'm going to have to leave the room. That's enough. It's not, oh, because I did this research and I feel this is the best and, <laughs> you know, on and on and yeah. on and on and on. <laughs> it's just, I I don't want this anymore. And that uh, the one that you're talking about saying no with kindness and respect is also about saying no to people who are making requests of you.
0: Ah, yes.
1: Yeah, so things like saying, I'd love to help you with that, you know, so it's still positive. I'd love to help you with that, but I just, I don't have the capacity right now. Or I can't help you with that, but perhaps such and such will be able to. So it's about offering those positive alternatives. Uh, Yeah, so there's depending on the situation, there's lots of different ways that you can do that.
0: That's a great blog post for people to go and see as well. And people should definitely check out all your Insta and your Facebook because you put these on there as well. And I find them so useful. They just pop up at the right time. I'm like, it's like Louise is in my head.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's the greatest compliment. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Always learning stuff. I love it. So thank you for talking about boundaries. I think that was really, really practical. But now I'd like to take a bit of a shift. Your business name is more to mum And so how can we slip out of this mum mode and connect more with our partners? Because this is something that's pretty tricky.
1: Yes. And one that I experienced myself, actually, my husband and I have four kids between us. And we realized only recently that we have never lived by ourselves. Because he's, I mean, that seems silly. We only just realised we've been together for ages. But we really just thought about it because when I moved in with him, he already had his eldest daughter living with him. So we've actually never been in a house by ourselves. And when our son arrived, our littlest one, it was really challenging because he is like a Velcro child, seriously. (laughs) And he only wanted me. So I pretty much had this child attached to me 24-7 and he's co-sleeping. He still sleeps in our bed a lot of the time. He likes to sleep in the middle. We don't always let him. (laughs) We have to compromise on that. But it is really hard to stay connected with your partner. It's really hard, especially if you're working as well or you have other commitments you might be caring for other people, for parents, volunteering, doing whatever it is that you're doing. There's a lot. Life is full. My number one tip for connecting with your partner is to have dedicated connecting time. These transformed the way we felt about our relationship when we started it. And I've had many of my own clients and community members do this and found it really helpful. So we have one night a week, and you could do a variation of this, where we connect. We do it every week. It's non-negotiable. Well, now that it's really established, we would sometimes swap the night depending on what's going on, but it happens. We have no technology on that night. And our first priority is to t- to talk and we can talk about anything. We often talk about things that are upsetting us, frustrating us, worrying us, things you can talk about the kids. That's fine. We work problems out in those times, but we also do, and this is some people think this is a bit nerdy, but maybe we are a bit nerdy. Like this. We do things together, like, you know, relationship quizzes and um, <laughs> vision boarding. <laughs> My husband's really, really beautifully um, supportive of what I do so when I come up with this you know new idea of oh I've got a great activity we should do together let's examine our identity he's like yeah. okay
0: <laughs> oh he really loves you <laughs>
1: <laughs> he sometimes rolls his eyes at first but then later he goes that's really good so Aww. he's saying yeah, well you funny. know when he met me it was in I was in this same sort of role but in the corporate world so he yeah. he knew that I was all about that already <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the most important things in those nights is that you are totally present and you just let it, we just let it run its course. Sometimes we talk for an hour and we feel done. Other times we talk all night. It doesn't really matter. But the thing is, you know, you always have that time and that you're going to have a hundred percent attention and you're going to be able to talk about those things that are concerning you. And it makes such a difference. Yeah. The other tip that I have, which is more a day to day tip is the really important moments of when you farewell each other and come back together. Those moments, they may be fleeting, but they're so important. I mean, how many times has your partner come home from work or from being out and you've gone, oh, hey, yeah, you know, I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> don't talk to me now. The kids are wild. <laughs> you know, yeah. Something like that. You don't even look at them. So the difference is you actually stop doing as much as you can. You look at them, give them eye contact, you smile. You know, even if you're having a hard day, you might say, oh, I'm really glad to see you. I'm having such a hard day or whatever it might be. But you make those moments count. You make them feel like they're, you're happy to see them. And, you know, a kiss and a hug is great if you're if you're physically able to. You don't have five children hanging <laughs> off you or whatever it is or if you can extract yourself. But those moments we, we don't we don't give them the attention and the value that they deserve because they can make a big difference. You want to look forward to seeing each other. Oh, that's good. I love that. That's beautiful.
0: You know how you were talking before about having a designated day? Uh, Now, I don't want anyone to get jealous here, but my mum this year, we've set up the arrangement. She will be having both of our children for 24 hours over the weekend. Yeah. From Friday, 4 o'clock to Saturday, 4 p.m. And I cannot wait. But uh, yeah, it's exactly like... My husband and I are going to have time together, and we're like, we need to go out for the first one. Otherwise, we're just going to end up, you know, back here on the couch watching Netflix, ignoring each other or something. But yeah, definitely want to think about how we can make that more about uh, our connection and, and coming together, as opposed to just like coming apart, and being like, oh, the kids aren't here, like we can just rest.
1: I think that's a really good point, actually, because the temptation is you sit next to each other on the couch with your phones yes. <laughs> or whatever it might be, and even if sometimes if you go out, you get distracted in the task, which can be good because you're doing something fun together, but I think having time to actually talk about how you're feeling and what's going on for you is the thing that really really connects you um yeah. so building that in, you know it could be having a coffee and just spending an hour chatting in that day that you have together or whatever it might be but having the time to really connect a bit more deeply is important and then go and do something fun and make more, wow. make new memories and <laughs> you know, enjoy yourself That's oh my wonderful.
0: gosh i am like i just cannot wait we've been counting down the days we're like when is it coming <laughs> I love it. It'd be amazing. But I remember we actually did do this when my son, my first son was born and my mum said, oh, I'll have him, I'll come over on a Tuesday night so you can go out to dinner every Tuesday, which was really lovely. But I found we just couldn't even speak. I think we were just so in the fog of, you know, parenthood. We had, like, it felt like we literally had nothing to talk about, which was yeah. so, yeah, it was really hard. It is, it's, it's, it's hard to come back together. And like you said, you'll talk about the kids and stuff and then you're like, what else is there? <laughs>
1: See, now that's where all the nerdy stuff really works. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get those relationship
0: quizzes. I'd love to do that.
1: That'd be fun. Yes. I do have a link to one of them in really ah. one, one my blog posts, And I also have a set of of questions, connecting questions that people can download. They're on little cards and it's just a whole set. So you can randomly choose a card and talk about the question on there. So, I mean, that's a good idea too. There's lots of conversation starter kits on the market these days, just You know, and just go along with it. Don't feel like, oh, this is so daggy. Why are we doing this? (laughs) But it it starts the conversation. Or the other thing we used to do is we used to take turns at deciding what we were going to do. So, you know, I might find a quiz to do and then we talk about it or we might talk about a particular thing that we want to do. Plan a holiday, a dream holiday, you know, just something fun. And I think over time it gets better. You know, once you start making those little steps, the conversation gets easier. You sort of remember how to connect like that. <laughs> and you don't always talk about the children. Oh, I know.
0: I know. It's hard, isn't
1: it? <laughs> and I don't want to feel, I don't want anyone to feel like that's bad to talk about no. the kids. You want to talk about the kids. You love the kids. They're your world. But, you know, you want to also be able to talk about other things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any other tips about connecting with partners?
1: Being connected through the day, if you can, really helps, even if it's just a couple of texts. That really can just be nice, you know. Positive texts. I know sometimes we text <laughs> like, "When are you coming home?" Yeah. <laughs> Grab some milk and bread. Or you know, oh, the childcare centre just rang, and I can't get out of this meeting. Can you go? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, just nice things like, "Oh, I love you," or "I miss you," or "How's your day going?" Or "I'm thinking about you because of this." Those are really nice things as well. And uh, I think one of the key things is when you talk to each other to be present. I don't know about you, Holly, but when my husband and I talk to each other, we notice sometimes we don't even take anything in. It's like we're talking to ourselves. (laughs) It's about having the discipline. You know, you always have that conversation. Did we talk about that? I don't remember you ever saying that. (laughs) It's very frustrating and that actually can lead to a lot of resentment. So just being able to put down what you're doing, you know, teach the kids, mummy or daddy is speaking right now. Hold on a second. That's hard. Our son really struggles with that. (laughs) big kids are fine little kids (laughs) harder um yeah but just having that discipline and role modeling that to try and give everybody the time to get the attention that they need because you want to you know what it's like you want to feel seen and heard and listened to it's awful when people aren't listening when they're typing on their phones when they're talking to you so, yeah, we try not to do that to each other.
0: Yeah, well, we have our daily ritual. We all sit down to dinner together, which is really nice, and we ask everyone about their day. Like even the two-year-old who can't speak will ask him and acknowledge like whatever, you know, little cute mumbles that come out of his mouth. And my son, and we try to teach him about waiting your turn and, you know, well, Daddy's now talking about his day and, you know, we can ask him some more questions and stuff like that. And It's, it's just a really nice way to sort of bring everyone together.
1: I love that. I think those little daily rituals are really important. Things like doing kids bedtimes together, if you can, or bath times or having breakfast in the morning or dinner together or whatever it might be. FaceTiming with whoever's (laughs) not there if you need to, but just having those moments, those regular moments of connection is really, really valuable.
0: So now I'd like to move on to self-care because you brought that up a little bit earlier. We all know it's really important, but like you said, it can feel like something else that you're just adding onto your day. What's your view on realistic self-care?
1: Self-care gets a bit of a bad rap, I think think because people have all these cliches about it self-care is not indulgent necessarily I mean it can be but it doesn't have to be and it doesn't have to be a luxury it doesn't have to be a whole lot of time self-care is anything you do to look after your well-being and for me self-care needs to be two things it needs to be purposeful and it needs to be realistic so you asked about realistic so I'll start there realistic means it fits in your life your situation you like it I mean, I hate taking baths. I always tell people, I hate it. I get cold. I'm uncomfortable. I'm bored. I just, I don't want to take a bath, but that's the most popular self-care cliche there is. (laughs) You will not find me doing that, but, you know, doing other things is much more important to me, sitting down with a cup of tea for five minutes, getting to read a chapter of my book, getting outside for a run, Uh, even just having five minutes to chat to my husband about things that are not stressful is nice, you know, or sending a few text messages to my friend. But even more importantly are things like setting clear boundaries, learning to accept yourself and have self-compassion, learning to prioritise, (laughs) learning to be present. All these things can be self-care. So the thing with self-care is you figure out what you need. That's the purposeful part. You have very little free time. I get it. (laughs) <laughs> I get it, mums. I get it. So, whatever time you spend in self care, you want it to be as impactful as possible. No point going and having a bath when that doesn't really do it for you. <laughs> you know, if you really need to sleep, then that's probably your, that's your priority. If you really need to get your um, your the way you eat under control because you're not feeling physically well, then that's where you need to focus your self-care. Whatever your greatest need is at the time, if there's a relationship in your life that is bringing you down, that is making you feel bad about yourself, making every day stressful, that's your self-care priority, fixing that situation. I would not worry about much else until you fix the key things that are causing you the most stress. So that's what I mean by purposeful, highest impact. (laughs) And then realistic is about doing it in a way that fits into your life. So do it in two minute blocks if that's all you can manage. You know, do it at night. Do it with the kids if you have to. Lots of mums say to me, "But the kids are with me all the time." And I know I had a Velcro child. I get that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I totally get that. Um, but you can do self care with the kids. Yes. You know? You don't need to, if you're a person that loves to be with other people, I personally find being with my friends really energizing. Look, as I'm getting older, I do appreciate time to myself, but I always love to be with other people as well. I get a lot of energy from that. So you don't have to go and spend two hours by yourself if you feel like you would feel more lifted, you know, more nourished by spending time with someone, with a friend that you really love. Do what works for you.
0: I really like that perspective of self-care, that it's purposeful and then it's realistic. And I I guess like I can give an example for myself was overhauling my breakfast and my lunch and making sure they were just really nutritional. And you know, it's just something I'm going to eat breakfast and lunch anyway. I might as well make sure that the you know got the best things in there things that I like and I make you know make them two days ahead as well so Mm -hmm. it's you know fit in the time it's all good but for me that is my self-care and yes the kids are around the good thing is they've stopped asking to like eat my food as well because (laughs) of course they can sense that it's healthy So even a bigger bonus there. But that that's an example of just a small way of self-care fitting into your day.
1: That's a great example because you can just improve the things you're already doing. So it doesn't even have to be something extra. One of the examples I like to use is, is about life's little, I call it life's little luxuries, you know. <laughs> so you're gonna have a shower every day, right? Or yes. whatever you can. I know not all of us get to shower every day sometimes, <laughs> those with newborns, but If you want to make that even better, well, what are the products you're using? You know, I use really great quality, 100% natural products. That's self-care to me. I enjoy using them. It feels good. I know it's good for my body.
0: Yeah. Or if there's a certain scent that you like as well, then, you know, get that in the body wash. Like, just go and get it. (laughs) Yeah. So it makes that thing that you're already doing just that little bit more luxe.
1: That's exactly it.
0: Lovely. Oh, that's great. Okay. So now I'd love to talk more about your own personal experience of motherhood. What has it been like for you? What have been the challenges and the surprises?
1: Oh, gosh. It's been a lot of surprises, actually. You know, no one spoke to me about being a mother and that I remember. I don't remember ever having a conversation with my parents about having a family it was always about being an independent career woman. <laughs> and look, if my, if my mother was to listen to this, she might be mortified because she might be thinking I had those conversations, but I, it did not stand out to me. You know, I always expected that I would get a job, have a successful career, look after myself, you know, be married, fine, whatever. And, and I probably would have kids. That's kind of how I thought of it. As an afterthought probably will happen. <laughs> and I was married before. Um, I got married when I was really young, and unfortunately, that marriage didn't work out. But I was the breadwinner in that in that relationship. And so, although my husband at the time wanted to have children, we—I never really felt like I could make it work because my career was important. But I did want to spend a bit of time at home with my with said children if we were to have them. And so, I, I always felt like it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. And then. Anyway, that marriage didn't work out. So by the time I met my now husband, I was in my 30s, I was sort of thinking, is this going to happen? I wasn't really sure. And I wasn't really attached to it <laughs> because, you know, it was always that afterthought, oh, it'll probably happen. But my husband has three children, had three children already. So I became a stepmom before I became a mum, which was amazing. Um, never expected to be a stepmom ever. <laughs> but it was, it's been such a blessing in my life. And I know a lot of people have very, very difficult stories of becoming stepmums. And for some reason, my journey has been really, really quite smooth, which is very fortunate. I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, I know the teenage years now somewhat, and I know the little kid years, but there's a whole Gap, gap in the middle that i is very unknown to me so I don't know what I'm in for but anyway we we actually used IVF to have our little boy and we had him when I was yeah I think 35 36, lost count now and interestingly because I was very career focused I just expected that I would go back to work I was like yeah I'll have this baby I'll be bored at home because you know I just do stuff all the time and I'm a career woman <laughs> And I will, I'll be back. I was saying to people in the office, I'll be back in six months. I think, don't you worry. Everyone puts their kids in childcare. That'll be fine. You know, that was my whole perception. Um, my little boy came nearly six weeks early. I was still working. So, <laughs> so try and for those of you who can relate, try and imagine this. I was, my water's broke at about four in the morning. I woke up and I realized, and I said to my husband, I woke my husband up. Or I think he woke up because he heard me moving. And I'm like, I think my water's just broke but I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> they need me. I'm like, I have meetings and I need to do There's emails. That's right. I'm not, I haven't handed my job over yet. I still have two weeks of work to go. And my husband, you can imagine, he was just like, calm down. Stop talking about work and ring obstetrician. <laughs> so I am, um, I was not ready. And that was probably better. I think because you know, younger Louise was very perfectionistic, very controlling, <laughs> needed to have everything planned. And I think the fact that he totally blind, my son totally blindsided me and came when I wasn't ready was actually a really good thing because so I didn't have time to think about it. I had no birth plan. I had I had only just packed my bag. You know, I, I was like, this is just happening. And I was okay. I, I was quite excited. Um, but I did, and this story is on my website, but I did actually sneak my work laptop into the car when my oh. husband was a <laughs> Some of you are thinking, "Oh, how sad!" I really loved my job. Yeah, of course. I left my work wrapped up into the car, and then I wasn't in labor, so I was in hospital all day. And my husband, I was bored. You know, I'm not used to sitting still. I was so bored. The doctor wasn't there. My obstetrician wasn't there. I was stuck in this room. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. I wasn't in labor. Oh, I convinced the nurse to help me, the midwife to help me work on my husband and get him to agree to me doing some work. <laughs> and then he says to me. Says to me, you don't have your laptop though. How are you gonna do work? Um, <laughs> it's in the car. <laughs> so this is how motherhood started for me, right? My son went into special care. I worked while he was asleep, so I was there for feeding him every three hours, and I worked and handed over my job while he was asleep <laughs> in special care. <laughs> but then something amazing happened. I just let it go. And I had no inclination to think about work or go back to work at all. And that just shocked me in a good way. I confidently extended my mat leave to 18 months. I confidently handed in my resignation at 18 months and said, I am not coming back because I just wanted to be at home. And I didn't even think twice. Even when people said to me, what are you doing? You're going to lose your skills. That might be current. You won't be able to come back. I just went, oh, well, Well, I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) And I would never have expected that reaction to me. But the desire to be at home with my son was so much greater. And I was fortunate, you know, being a bit later in life, I was more confident in my own decision-making. I'd sort of worked, since the breakdown of my first marriage, I'd worked through a lot of that perfectionism and controlling and planning (laughs) issues that I had. So I was a lot more relaxed and, you know, a bit more financially stable. I'd already achieved things in my career. So I didn't, I wasn't worried about that. And I just walked away. I never would have predicted that. That was the biggest surprise, I think. (laughs) And then the other thing that surprised me was um, the loneliness because I do like to be around people. And I I always say to people, I'm so glad I had my eldest stepdaughter who was living with us at the time. She used to work until three and then she would be home. And I hung out for the moment she would come home. (laughs) She was home well before my husband. And I'd be counting the hours, when is she coming home? When is she coming home? And then she'd sit and play with us and chat to me in the afternoon and it was beautiful. And I think my experience of motherhood to a baby would have been much different if I hadn't have had her. Then my second stepdaughter moved in with us a little bit later and she worked night shifts. So she was home in the morning and would have breakfast with us. And so having the girls around was just wonderful. And at one point we had all three of my stepkids and my little one in the house. And so it was a very beautiful full household and that made me very happy. But yeah, I didn't expect to feel the loneliness and the craving, you know, other people's company. Plus I was new. I'd moved from Sydney to Melbourne not long before to be with my husband. And I didn't have a lot of friends here. So I've got fantastic friends now that I've built through motherhood. But again, I didn't have that support network early on. The friends I made were through motherhood, through playgroup and things like that. Uh, Yeah, so I did feel a bit isolated at first. Um, The other... So in terms of the challenges, in terms of some other challenges, I've talked about how it changed the relationship with my husband and we just found it hard to connect. So I think many mums can relate to that. But we found our ways around that. Having a child that only wanted mum all the time was very difficult. I mean, he used to scream when my husband came anywhere near me or even when he walked in the door at night. (laughs) My son would just start screaming immediately. (laughs) Pleased to report that now they are firm friends. (laughs) Just took a few years. (laughs) Uh, The other thing was, uh, the thing I find, oh, well, breastfeeding wasn't easy, you know, I think it's it's important just to acknowledge that because a lot of mums think that breastfeeding is going to be really easy and then they think it's their fault when it's not. But you know, it's hard for many mums. And the other thing is behavioural challenges. (laughs) Any mums going, yes. Yeah, we're
0: all nodding here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, gosh. My son is so passionate and I'm still struggling with some of the aspects of that. Uh, I'm a very, I'm not scared of confrontation, but I don't like aggression. I find aggression very triggering and he can get really angry. You know, his emotions are quite, are very extreme. So he's very, very happy or he's very, very angry or he's very, very sad Um, and everybody knows. And so I really struggle. I struggle with that a lot and we get continual help with that just to make sure we're doing the best by him. Yeah. And then the other, another surprise that comes to mind, because there's so much, isn't there, even in just a short time, but another surprise that comes to mind is I am, for those mums who have only children, one child, I had a lot of worries around my son being alone. I felt really worried that he, as he grew up, he'd be lonely. You know, we don't have a lot of family here. Um, well, I don't have a lot of family here. My husband's family is here. And I only have one sister. She doesn't have children. My husband has one brother. He doesn't have children, so they have no cousins. And, he, and my son's siblings are so much older than him. They're in their early 20s. But I have overcome that because I am just so, so, so happy at how connected our family is and I know that my son's siblings his older siblings will always be there for him but that was a real concern for me for a while and do we have another one but as you as I mentioned we did IVF and then how many do you want to have and you know I'm already 41 how many years do I want to be doing this for it's just a really it's a hard decision
0: it is yeah I'm
1: sure there's lots of mums out there who can relate
0: Yeah, absolutely. When are you (laughs) done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we get we get asked that all the time and you're just like, oh, I don't know. Like, how do you know? Yeah, it's very hard to answer.
1: How do you know? And then if you have to be deliberate about it and you have to pay the money and you have to go through a process and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, I mean that's that's really challenging too for uh, there's so many women that use fertility services these days. It's not it's so complicated emotionally, you know, just trying to plan. It's really, it it surprised me. It surprised me how invested you get in it when you weren't that invested in the first place. You know, you were like, oh, maybe we'll just see how it goes. But you very quickly become invested in it.
0: I had a guest on last week who spoke about fertility, who's a fertility coach.
1: Yeah, very interesting sort of insight to that to that challenging time. It's so wonderful that we have these options, but it is complicated. <laughs> it does make things a little complicated. And the other thing that makes me feel much better is that my two eldest stepchildren, the girls have had their own babies this year, oh. or last year, I should say. So we have babies around, have <laughs> grandchildren. You have grandchildren. Yes. Wow. Have grandchildren, what's that role like?
0: Because I feel like, I don't know, my husband and I talk about this all the time that when people become grandparents, it's, they don't, they don't treat it like, you know, obviously it's like their children, but it's like they forget almost and they, they slip into a totally different role. So what's it like for you? You tell
1: me. I guess it's a little different for me because I'm still parenting a five-year-old. Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> it
1: hasn't been that long. <laughs> it hasn't been that long for me. I do have one of them a once a week on a Friday when my stepdaughter's working, which is just beautiful. I mean, how privileged am I to have that that opportunity to have a relationship with her like that. So yeah, it's, it's different. I don't, I don't think I've forgotten. I wasn't that long ago. It doesn't feel, I don't know. How is it meant to feel? Holly? <laughs> I, I think the word grandma is really weird to me still. I mean, I'm too young to associate myself with the world, with the word grandma, but the role and the relationship feels completely natural because obviously we love our kids and their kids are naturally loved and special. So the fact that our family is just connected and, you know, we all help each other and we're in each other's lives, that feels beautiful and joyful and natural. And then someone says grandma and I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but that will only be weird for a little while and it will, I'll get used to it. So, I mean, what's the title? Whatever.
0: Is that the title? Are you grandma? No, is that what you're known yeah, as? Grandma Louise? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I I, <laughs> I even ran a poll in my community. I'm like, help me come up with some cool name. <laughs> but in the end, um, and stepmums who are listening may be able to relate to this. Step being a stepmom is a little bit of a vulnerable position to be in because you come to love these kids so much, but you're always conscious that you're not their mum, you know, and I've said this to, to to at least to my stepdaughter, my older stepdaughter, we've talked about it since she became a mum. I said it's just, it's this vulnerable position. And while you are always there for them, you you just sometimes have these fleeting thoughts like, oh, but I'm I'm not their mum. I'm, you know, will they always have that same connection with me or want that same connection with me? And now, you know, <laughs> my stepkids are beautiful and we have a good relationship. But you just can't, I don't know, it's just this thing. And maybe the way society looks at it too. There's other messages there that play on your mind and the wicked step-mum, you know, all those stereotypes, which I hope are, are dying because there's so many great step-mums out there. Um, yeah, I just, it's interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> I'm
0: so glad that you, you talked about this aspect of your life because I don't think I've had a lot of mums on here that are step-mums to really speak about it, but also that you just have such a connected family. That's amazing.
1: Well, I think that's so important, right? For me, the, the fact that kids have gone through a relationship breakdown no matter how we try to make it easy for them it is not easy for them you know Um, there's always an impact whether it be a smaller impact or a larger impact and for my husband and I we agreed very early on that, that our goal was to make the kids feel safe and valued and loved and to know that they always had a home to come to no matter where they were and what they were doing and that has been our and just stay connected that's been our absolute focus the whole time and I feel like we are now seeing the fruit of that like it's just beautiful and I don't I don't want anyone who's in a bad stepmom you know really tough stepmom situation I don't want to feel like I don't want you to feel like I'm bragging I'm, I'm actually coming from coming at this from a very grateful and humble perspective like I can't believe how lucky I am in this regard that things have worked out so well and that um yeah we just value each other a lot it's beautiful And like I said, I was very worried about my son being alone. And and so for me, that's super important to know how loved he is and how he'll always have their support in life. That's super important. And he's got his my grandchildren are like more his playmates. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So he takes being an uncle very seriously. Oh
0: yeah, he's a little uncle at five. How cute. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really special. Beautiful. And so now I'm going to wrap things up. But before we do, I would love to know a fun random fact about you, Louise. (laughs)
1: Okay, like I a grandma. <laughs> yeah is that my fun random yeah. fact I'm a grandma I was a grandma at 40 well, I was trying to think of something really random and something that people always find interesting is that when I was in school I was in a handbell ringing team most people go what <laughs> it's a musical team we played little handbells that you hold so all the range of musical notes you know, it sounds really. I loved it. I loved it. No matter what you think it is, I loved it. It was beautiful. We used to play at people's weddings and functions, <laughs> and it was just fantastic. It actually sounded beautiful. It's an English tradition. The bells were from England, and yeah, it was great. We wore tartan skirts and, you know, a blouse with a bow on the collar. And I still really, really think it was fun.
0: So you, so you were really popular at school, were you? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it was the school's thing. It was actually one of the oh. things that my school was known for. It was a bit different. We used to compete in the Stedfords and things like that, and oh, wow. we'd do really well. Yeah, so it was okay. actually not considered too jaggy. Do,
0: do, do you have any bells lying around the house, and you bring them out no. sometimes?
1: Or you grab the kids, the
0: kids' musical stuff. You like watch, watch me.
1: <laughs> it's a bit hard because you need all the notes, so you oh, can't okay. really just play a song with one oh, okay. with one bell. But I had the little baby ones, and I had about six of them, and it was really, it was great. I loved it. It was, oh. fun. It was really nice. It has to be part of events like people's weddings and things like that yeah yeah do you have footage of it i i'm sure i do but it would it would be on vhs yeah I'd be on tape
0: you're like i can't actually play it no one
1: can play it anymore
0: well that's a good thing maybe maybe Uh, No, I love that. Very random. Excellent. You passed the test. Thank you. (laughs) And before we do say goodbye, I would love for you to share with everyone what services do you offer at more To mum and where can people connect with you?
1: Okay, great. Thank you. So obviously I offer one-on-one coaching services for mums who would like to sort out something in their life, achieve more, rediscover themselves, you know, make their life easier, calmer, happier. They're feeling overwhelmed. I do so many things with people but it's basically helping you achieve the things that you want achieve the life that you want and feel better you know so i am available for that i also run a beautiful beautiful facebook community that i would love that any mums who are listening to join it is all about learning about yourself and making your life better so we're very positive we're very it's it's a really you know Criticism and judgment space. It's um, always focused on how we can help each other do better and be, be ourselves, be more of ourselves and just, you know, live life better. <laughs> so that's the sort of space it is. But if you're interested in that sort of thing, we have fun too, you know, get to know each other. I'm in there every day helping people and um, just chatting to the ladies. So you're very welcome to come and talk to me and see us there. And the group's name is There's More to Mum. There's More to Mum on Facebook. Uh, You can also, I also send out a weekly email where I always include my latest blog and some tips and encouragement for mum. So if you need that sort of messaging in your life, you're very welcome to do, to connect with me there. Will we be able to share some, will we share some links, Holly? Is that the easiest way to do that? We can do
0: that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: Otherwise you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at more to mum. Very easy. The same handle on both. I do offer some online courses from time to time and this year I will be running some face-to-face workshops in Melbourne. So if you want to hear more about those, just jump on any of my social media channels or on my weekly newsletter and you will hear about that.
0: Well, we've come to the end of this episode and if you love hearing from inspiring and entertaining Melbourne mamas, subscribe to Mamas on a Mission. Bonus hugs to all of you who also take the time to leave a review. Thank you. If you're keen as beans for more information about the podcast, my guests or myself, jump over to motherhoodmelbourne.com.au. Okay, Mama, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in.